0: Alright, so today I have a bit of an undertaking. Uh, we are going to do the book of Galatians, so that's quite a bit. We're not going to read it all. Um, that might be a bit loud, I'm getting a bit of an echo here. Uh, first of all, I want to I point out about six things before we start. We, it, like I said, it's quite a bit, so we won't be reading all of it. We'll be reading maybe a third of it and some background in Acts as well. Um, so we will be skipping some things. So if you're disappointed and certain things were skipped, well, you'll just have to read that and maybe tell it to me and others afterwards. Um, but there will be parts that we hit on that you'll be like, "Oh, that's a that's a verse that I know and it's kind of a quotable verses." There's a few of them in Galatians, uh, so you're gonna hear a few of those today. Another thing, Galatians is fairly strong on a certain perspective. Um, so, and you're going to get that as we go through the verses in Galatians today, and we don't have time today to say anything, any response to that in terms of this other verse in this other book, or this other whole book, or this other chapter in this other book, how do we view that then in light of what Galatians is telling us, we don't have time for that this morning, we're just going to talk about what Galatians tells us, um, As any time when we're reading a book of the Bible or any parts in the Bible, but particularly when we read a whole book, um, we need to keep in mind that it takes place in a certain time and a certain culture, both of which are different from what we are in today. We are in a different time and a different culture, Um, so we need to understand that both the writer and the people that were reading it had some different cultural thought patterns than what we do. So we need to be careful about misunderstanding, but unfortunately, I won't be able to help us very much in that department today. We're just going to read the words and respond to them. But keep in mind, if you're not understanding something, maybe it's, they would have understood it differently culturally. Or if we quickly jump to a conclusion, be careful that we're not jumping to a Western thought conclusion 2,000 years later. Um, And then... uh, I recommend that you have Galatians open if you have a physical Bible with you here today or if you have it on your phone. Uh, We are going to be skipping through various sections of it. At the beginning, we're going to be a little bit more into Acts um, to get some background, but recommend that you have it open and skip through. And I even give you permission to read a few of the verses in between that I'm skipping. I do that sometimes when people are doing sermons. I, I read the next few verses like, oh, that tells me something else. So you can do that too, but I do prefer that you mostly pay attention. Um, And then finally, Galatians, like I said, is fairly, you can probably get a fairly clear perspective of it from what we read today. So I want you to summarize for yourself by the time we're done, what is it that Galatians says in a sentence or two or a phrase or two, Um, and I will do it from my perspective as well, and chances are most of us will agree on most of that. Um, often when we read Bible verses, we're seeing details, because we read one verse, or etc. Um, and it's good to see details, and it enriches what we know, but to see the whole theme of something is important. To read Galatians and not see the whole theme would be something like watching a movie, and we're looking at, what the actors and actresses are wearing, and what they look like, and we see the setting, etc., but we miss the plot of the whole story. That's what it would be like if we don't catch the theme of all of Galatians. So, we'll start off Galatians 1, verses 1 and 2. I, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. So, I want to, that second part there between the dashes, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Uh, I just want to say that he talks about that more in some of the other parts of Galatians, but we're going to be skipping those parts of Galatians. Um, so, I'm going to try to interject here and there some of the things that he said in the parts we're skipping. So, he does use that as one of his themes um, that this gospel that he received was from God. He didn't make it up. He didn't receive it from anybody else. That's part of what he says in Galatians, especially over the next two chapters, is that this was a gospel that he received from God. So it's from Paul, and it's to the churches in Galatia. Okay, so who's Paul, and who are the churches in Galatia? Um, Let's start off by talking about who Paul is, just in what we know in the Bible, and then that will give us... From there, we will get just a small part of the picture of who the churches are in Galatia. We won't be able to background it real well. So this will be just a quick question and answer where you can answer a couple questions. Um, so Paul, when we first see him in Acts, what's his name? Saul. And what's he doing? He's persecuting the church. Okay, so let's go to Acts 8 verses 1 to 4. On that day, so this is right after Stephen was martyred. He was stoned to death by the crowd, uh, and people laid their coats at beside Paul. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So keep that also in your mind. The church is being scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. That's pretty, pretty harsh. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Okay, so Paul Saul is persecuting the church, going from house to house, uh, dragging people out. Then what do we hear that happens in Acts? He's sent somewhere, Damascus. Why is he going to Damascus? Continue the persecution. Yeah, more persecution. He has a letter, has some sort of authority, either from the church. I don't know if it has any kind of governmental authority. Um, He's going to Damascus to be able to uh, continue to arrest people, put them in prison, etc. What happens on the road to Damascus? Jesus happens. A very bright light. Jesus shows up as a very bright light, and he talks to Saul, and he tells them uh, a few things. And tells him that he's the one that he's persecuting. And Saul becomes, what happens to Saul? He becomes blind. Uh, What's, I think, the last thing that Jesus tells Saul? Maybe this is not enough of a hint. Um, So one of the last things that Jesus tells Saul is to continue to go into Damascus and wait there. So often, we often view that When God, I mean, for most of us, God doesn't show up as a bright light like that. But a lot of us wish that he did more often or something, I think. Um, And we think that God should be more obvious in the things that he does. But even in this situation, where God becomes very obvious and Jesus is the bright light that shines down on Saul, he doesn't tell him a ton of things. At least we don't have it recorded. And at the end, he says, go into Damascus and, and wait there. So then what happens when he goes into Damascus and waits there? Who does the Holy Spirit talk to? Ananias is told to go and pray for Saul and to heal his eyes and to uh, sort of welcome him into the, into the Christian kingdom. Uh, so Ananias is afraid to do this at first, of course, uh, but then he does go and do it. And I think often... One little thing I wanted to point out here is often we expect God to just make everything easy and to do all the things and make it obvious. And instead, he usually wants to work through other people. So God sends Ananias to Saul and prays for him. Then, um, a little bit after that, so a few chapters after that, we'll just go right into Acts 11 verses 19 to 26. Now those who had been scattered, so from previously from Stephen's persecution, by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Venetia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. and found him in Tarsus, which is where Saul grew up, where he originally came from, and brought him back to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians, were called Christians first at Antioch. So now we have this, Christianity seems to be going a little bit from centered in Jerusalem to there's now a big center in Antioch. Antioch, uh, by the way, was a city. This is not a small town or countryside. Uh, Antioch at one point, maybe not quite at this point yet, was about 300,000, which is pretty big for ancient cities. Uh, it was the third largest city in Rome after Rome, and then Alexandria in Egypt was the second largest. Um, so this is a big city we're talking about, and apparently a whole bunch of Christians have showed up here, and then this thing starts happening with Christians in Antioch, And they start talking to Greeks also. And then uh, the church in Jerusalem hears about this. They send Barnabas. Barnabas says, oh, I'm going to go get Saul. And he gets Saul. And now they're having a good time, a bunch of Christians in Antioch. So then in Acts 13, some of the leaders in Antioch, including Paul and Barnabas, are praying together. And this is what happens. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So then this is the beginning of what we call the first, Paul's first missionary journey. So him and Barnabas, and they had John Mark with them too at first, um, go off on this missionary journey, and they go to Cyprus, and they go to some of the southern areas in what is now Turkey, um, sort of in south-central Turkey, Uh, I think it was Iconium and Lystra and Derby, And these are all cities within the province of Galatia at that time in the Roman world. This is the southern part of Galatia. So most scholars believe that Galatians was then written to these people that Paul had met on the first missionary journey. Some believe that it was northern Galatia that they're talking about, uh, which he may have gone to on his second journey, and then in which case... The writing of this would be a little later. But this would be, if it was after the first missionary journey, now he's sending a letter to the churches in Galatia. So most of the other epistles that Paul writes are to a specific city or to a specific person. This one is actually to a province or a region. So it's a bunch of churches in Galatia. And uh, Paul is writing to them after having returned. And then he found out something that happened there. So, The next part of Galatians, Galatians 1, verses 6 to 9. So Paul says, hi, and all of a sudden he gets, it's kind of like, hi, and then he lays right into them. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven Should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So Paul's not playing around. He seems pretty serious. He seems pretty harsh. So what on earth has happened that six verses into Galatians, this is the way that Paul is talking. So we have an example It's not the same one, and it may not be necessarily at exactly the same time, but it will give us a rough idea Uh, in Acts 15, verses 1 to 2. Now, we could read a lot more of Acts 15. We're going to read a couple more verses a bit later, but there's a lot going on here in Acts 15. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and deba- debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So after, in this case it's Antioch, and in the case in Galatians, it's the churches in Galatia. After they have been converted to Christianity, then there's some people going around and saying, hey, you've got to live up to all the Old Testament laws, you've got to be circumcised, and these are... Greek people they're talking to, people that have never followed any of the Jewish customs or laws, uh, and they're introduced to Christ. And then some people are coming along and saying, oh, you also got to do all this other stuff. And then Paul and Barnabas are saying, no, we don't think so. Um, And in this case, Paul and Barnabas thought, well, we should go check with the church in Jerusalem, see if they agree with us. So Acts 15 is the council at Jerusalem. Um, And it shows us, again, that God doesn't always make everything easy for us. You'd think the Holy Spirit could have just given all of them the same answer, and then they could have just all agreed. But no, instead, there's this big council in Jerusalem, and it says at one point there was a long debate. So church leaders, early Christians, are all meeting in Jerusalem saying, hey, what should we do about this? And... They eventually come to a conclusion. The whole chapter, you can read it for yourself. I'm just going to read verses 10 and 11 now. Um, This is Peter speaking. Um, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. So that's part of the answer that Peter came up with after they had a long debate and other leaders also agreed and Paul and Barnabas eventually get sent back to Antioch to say, no, you don't have to live up to all the Jewish laws and customs. They did, I think, give them a couple things that they preferred that they did. Um, But we won't talk about that. So that's the same situation in the churches in Galatia. So they've been converted to Christianity and then someone comes along and says, But you have to be circumcised and live up to all these other laws that the Jewish customs. And uh, Paul and Barnabas are saying no. And in this case, Paul is talking to Galatians and saying, no, that's not how it is. So in Galatians 2, verses 8 to 9, we will skip to there. Um, For God, who was at work in Peter? So this is Paul's response either to this Jerusalem council or to an earlier meeting. We don't know the timing for sure who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, (coughs) so Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Then right after that, Paul talks a little bit about how there was a situation in Antioch where... People from Jerusalem came to Antioch, Uh, Peter was one of the earlier ones there, and at first Peter and the people from Jerusalem were eating with the Gentiles, Uh, whether they followed any of the laws or not, they were eating with the Gentiles, but one of the Jewish laws is not to eat with uncircumcised Gentiles. And then when more people showed up that were a little more in favor of circumcision, etc., then Peter and the other leaders stopped eating with the Gentiles. And Paul said, whoa, you guys are being hypocrites. So part of his answer to Peter is verses 15 and 16 of Galatians 2. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, and in some versions that's almost in quotations, Gentile sinners. I guess that's the way the Jews viewed Gentiles, those Gentile sinners out there. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Then we'll go straight to verses 19 to 21. Now this is no longer Paul talking to Peter, but this is Paul talking within the book of Galatians. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I just want to stop there for a second. Um, Generally, when we talk about the work of the cross in the New Testament and when we talk about the power that it gives us to die to ourselves and what died within us because of the cross, we usually think of dying to sin. And that's the most common use within the New Testament, but here in at least one other place in the New Testament, it's not actually talking about dying to sin, it's talking about dying to the law. So dying to my right to be good enough and to live up to, so that God can accept me kind of thing. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and this is one of those quotable verses, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Continuing in in chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, Paul gets kind of harsh again. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you've heard? In the next section, there's a fairly big section where Paul is talking about Abraham. Um, We won't read that part, but, and he's talking about how the promise to Abraham occurred before the law. And that that's still in place afterwards when Jesus has come that the promise and God doing it and through faith is still in place. And he's kind of saying it sort of supersedes um, the following of the law and that it's by faith and it's through the promise to Abraham. And then he'll come back to that in a later chapter as well. Uh, then we go to Galatians 3:26 to 29. So this kind of sums it up. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So I hope you're sort of keeping track and getting yourself a theme going here. Um, Galatians 4 verses 4 to 7. And I I view these as pretty important verses. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And there's a bit more talk in Galatians about slavery or not slavery. Um, We'll continue with verses 8 to 11. I originally didn't have this in my thing, and I thought my sermon was too long, and then I realized it wasn't quite as long as I thought it was. Um, And then I added this back in. Excuse me. I wanted to add it back in for a few reasons. Um, One was because Paul talks about the law, and circumcision is continually brought up. But other than this section here, I don't think there's a section where a specific law is brought up other than circumcision. So I wanted to bring this in because it's specific laws are brought up here, other ones. And then I also wanted to bring this in kind of to get a little more of a sense of Paul's passion and how concerned he was regarding this following the law thing and how sensitive he was regarding this following the law here. We're going to read it in a second, but he seems to, as soon as they're even observing any of the law, he's like, whoa, wait a minute here, and he's afraid that they're off into following, just following the law as opposed to following grace through Jesus Christ. So he's very sensitive, and he's very on edge about about being careful not to suddenly become followers of the law. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. And here I'm preaching this on New Year's Day after Christmas season. Uh, (laughs) I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. So Paul is concerned simply because they are following some of the some of the days and months and seasons and years and observing some of the special ones. And he's like, he's afraid now that, whoa, what's going on? You guys are doing that. I'm concerned about you. Have I wasted my efforts on you? Um, and then in the next section that we're going to skip over, there's a bit more going back to the Abraham promise thing, and it's talking about Sarah versus Hagar and that we are as Christians we are sons of the sons and daughters of the slave or of the free woman not the slave woman and he's comparing Hagar and the slavery to law and he's comparing Sarah to the promise and to freedom and to grace by faith so galatians 5 verses 1 to 6 is what we'll read next it is for freedom that Christ has set us free stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. So again, he's saying if you even go there, if you're Greek boys that didn't grow up in this, in this uh, way of doing things and you suddenly want to go over and follow all these laws, that's not the right path is what he's saying. Um, Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. I think I've mentioned these verses a few times in a few places. Um, I think this is where we get our term fall from grace. And we view fall from grace as you've done something so bad that now we can't give you grace anymore. So you've fallen from grace. But no, originally when it's here, fallen from grace doesn't mean you've done something so bad. It means you're trying to live up to it by doing the right things. You're trying to follow the law. So then you have fallen from grace. Um, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Okay, so we've, it seems to be fairly strong. Paul keeps talking about, okay, it's by faith, and it's by the Spirit, and it's not through following the law. Um, Does that mean you can just do anything you want and just totally ignore everything? Uh, Galatians 5, verses 13 to 18. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The last sentence is a pretty strong one. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So I can just say, okay, I'm led by the Spirit. I don't have to do whatever. Um, But this whole section and the next section that we're about to read is actually saying, no, not the flesh. If you're following the flesh, then you're also not following the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. And then there's a section where it talks as kind of a, this is how you will know. Um, and there's a bit of a section of the bad things. I Just because of time, I skipped through. We're not doing the bad things that are not of the Spirit. We're going to do the good things that are of the Spirit. So this is kind of a framework of, okay, if someone is following the Spirit, they will be like this. Galatians 5, verses 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. I'm a little surprised that These versions of NIV actually say forbearance here. Patience is what's in most versions at this point. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So right there... There is an example where it talks about being crucified, and it's talking about the sins part, uh, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the fruit of the spirits is those things. Galatians uh, 6, verses 7 and 8. So the next little section is kind of like, I think, one of the chapters in Ecclesiastes and lots of the chapters in Proverbs, where it's kind of like one liners that, oh, that's a cool one liner, but. They're not really all connected, and it's not a big story. So they're cool, but we skipped over most of them. Here we have Galatians 6, 7, and 8. This is probably one that you've heard quoted quite a bit, too. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And this one is more thematic with the whole thing. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So you reap what you sow. And in this context, it's choosing the spirit versus choosing the flesh or what you just want to do. Then he closes it, Galatians 6, verses 14 to 18. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So this is how Paul closes, and he kind of concludes with, okay, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. New creation is what counts. What we boast in is the cross of Jesus Christ. And he's kind of like, okay, don't bother me anymore. I don't want to hear that this is still going on like this. Um, From now on, don't let anyone cause me trouble. And then he says goodbye. Sometimes Paul can be kind of harsh and straightforward and to the point. Um, So that's how he closes it. So I'll just give you a second, and then I'll just show you mine. But you can uh, go through in your head uh, regarding, okay, what are one or two phrases or sentences that you would say we've we've run through the book of Galatians, um, one or two phrases or sentences that you would say that Galatians sums up. And while you're thinking about that, I failed to mention at the beginning um, in terms of the timing of when Galatians was written. So it would have been probably, if if it's from the first missionary journey, probably 48 to 50 AD. So that might make it the earliest thing that was written in the New Testament. Uh, possibly First Thessalonians might be earlier. Of course, we don't know these things. We're just conjecture based on things that happened and the uh, history according to Acts, etc. And, and, uh, so Galatians is probably one of the first books written in the New Testament and now you've had it. Um, do you have in your head any kind of an idea, okay, what's the main points that Paul is making? To me, I think it's Reasonably obvious, it kind of happens over and over. So I have, I think I have a couple screens where my answers are on. Do I? Or is it just the verses? Yes. (laughs) Not by the law, but by the Spirit. To me, this is the number one theme within Galatians. He's talking over and over that it's not by the law. Um, And then some of the time he talks about it's by grace, some of the time he talks about it's by faith, but towards the end he kind of fills it in of, by faith through the Spirit, and then he talks about the fruits of the Spirit, and walking by the Spirit as opposed to walking by the flesh. So not by the law, but by the Spirit. I have a secondary one. I think it's in there too. Maybe I didn't read enough of the verses for you to get this. Um, No longer slaves, but children of God.